You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard McDowell, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook or rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Also, make sure you follow us on The Summit, Summit with two Ts, SummitHoops.com, your 24-7 guide uh, to women's basketball. And somebody who we are having the pleasure of talking to and have really enjoyed covering uh, is the great Tiffany Hayes of the Atlanta Dream. Tiffany, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Hi, no problem. Thank you for having me place I want to start is just a basic look at your stat line and you've already been an elite offensive player in this league but you have essentially doubled the number of three-point attempts you are taking per game so far this year. I'm hoping you to take me through how that came about and what you think that's doing both for your game individually and for the dream overall. I think it's just the fact that everybody knows me as a slasher and um, they know I can get to the basket fairly well, so they play me to um, shoot the three, and um, I, I just got to do a better job of knocking them down, but that's the reason I'm taking more threes this year. In terms of making the decision to do so, was that something you're looking to work on during this past off season? Was it something that you felt like was sort of the next evolution of your game? How did it come about for you? I mean, pretty much I knew because we were going to be missing a piece of our puzzle in Angel, I had to work on pretty much everything in my game, better my defense, better my um, offense, um, just everything overall, just, uh, you know, trying to get better as a player, period, because that is a big part of our puzzle. So um, I think all of us took the time out to say that we all have to evolve a little bit more for each other and for the team. What's interesting to me about this team, when you talk about that evolution, both you as an individual, if you break down the numbers uh, per synergy, uh, but also as a team, you guys have gone from, I think you were 10th in the lead in transition uh, efficiency last year. You're third this year so far. Does that come from essentially knowing, all right, look, we don't have Angel uh, on a possession-to-possession basis in the half court. Uh, to get buckets on ISO and other uh, other things, and so we're going to try and score more often off of the break. I, I honestly this thing last year was a, a bad year for us as far as transition because we are known as a running team, and teams are scared of us, and because of that, they try to get back on us more um, quickly than other teams. And, and last year, we let them um, use that as an advantage, whereas this year, even though teams are getting back, we're still going to run the ball at them. So I think we adjusted to that and now this year we're now getting more um fast break points. Does like it, we're used to getting. And does that have to come from defense? I I, I mean it, it it's so much harder to run off of a made basket. Do you feel like the two are just interrelated when it comes to what you've been able to do so effectively so far this year? Absolutely, and you know our team, our coach is definitely a defensive player, so he always stresses that our our defense has to get stopped first in order for us to run. So even though we do still try to do it when there's a main basket, that's definitely a big part of us running is getting the defensive stop. So on on the defensive end, but also on the offensive end, you know you're coming back as the most accomplished of the offensive players as you're trying to figure out this way forward. Uh, without Angel. Did you think in your mind that, look, you know, this is 
I'm going to have to be someone who is making big shots, especially down the stretch in games, more often this season? I mean, yeah, of course. That's always in my mind um, for the past couple of years because, you know, you can't always put it all on Angel. Teams will probably double her all the time. Of course, I had to be ready at all times, and it's no different this year. And then those conversations, are you acting under the assumption that she doesn't return for the duration of the season? Do you have to plan that way? And then if she comes, it's a bonus? I, I, I mean, what's the thinking like, and what were those conversations like with Michael Cooper and just, you know, among, among the team? That's exactly what it's like. Um, we're thinking um, going into this season. Like, I, I know that we have each other's backs, and we've been practicing very hard, and and I'm just sitting around wondering when she's coming back or if she's coming back. Like, hmm. you can't be a good team doing that. So we're going to keep continue to just get these wins, and if she does jump in, like you said, it's a bonus for us. But right now we're just focusing on who we have here right now and who who's here right now that can help us win. So let's talk about who's there. Now, uh, you and Laisha Clarendon, to me, might be the best backcourt in the league and really fly under the radar in a lot of ways. Uh, one of the advantages, it strikes me, you know, while you wait for Angel to return, is people are getting a better focus on that, especially early on with some of your early wins. Do you see yourselves as the best backcourt in the league? And what do you think accounts for that gap between what you guys are able to accomplish and the way you're talked about around the league? Um, I mean, I, I think you have to go in to get to the best backcourt. Um, I think Leia's a great player. She's been a great point guard for us. And, um, I'm not playing too bad myself. So, um, yeah, of course we're going to put ourselves as number one. And I think a lot of people, like you said, they uh, underrate us, especially her and especially me, a lot. Um, they underrated our team in the beginning, and now they're trying to move us up the ladder slowly but surely. So um, we just got to keep proving people wrong, and then that's what we intend to do. What do you think you proved with some of the early victories, and was there a victory you feel like really showed the lead what you were capable of early on here? Um, uh, definitely getting wins is a big thing for us, especially when we season. another season. Um, I feel like we lost when we shouldn't have lost, and... Um, we can't get it back, but we definitely learned from it. And we um, learned from that game, got us a win against L.A., and I think that was a huge win as a defending champ. So um, we definitely took pride in that win, and we're not going to sit around and be happy about it all week because we have more games, but we're all proud of that win. I mean, it strikes me, and this is what was particularly interesting to me, to go beat the defending champs the way you did, but also you had nine points as a team in the second quarter. To come out and be able to make adjustments against that team, to me, is almost as important as going out and getting a victory. What do you feel like was the biggest thing that you guys were able to do against L.A. to make that change at halftime? Um, I think our defense, our communication was really big for us. Um, um, I've been playing a long time, and I don't think I've ever seen get three shot caught violations in a row. So mm-hmm. That speaks volumes to me, and I, um, I hope it speaks volumes to other people. Because, like I said, I've never seen that before, and I'm proud of my team for accomplishing that. And What's striking is to not just get three shot clock violations in a row, uh, but also to do it against L.A., who has the most efficient offense in the league so far. Did it change your conception of how good this team can be 
to go out and, you know, it's one thing to believe in yourselves, but another thing to go out and do it against elite competition like that. Right. I mean, like you said, I think we, we always know that we're a good team. We just got to do it. Hmm. But, and we always talk about it and have meetings about it. And um, most of the time we're doing it in practice, but we got to stay consistent and we got to actually do it. And I think we're doing a good job of that. Um, taking our good practices and moving them into the games, and that's what happened in the LA game. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, I, I'm curious what you think of a couple of comments made by Kurt Miller, uh, head coach and GM of the Connecticut Sun. One uh, that drew a fair amount of amusement. He talked about the fact that it seems like you die on each foul call. Take me through what you thought about that, if you heard about the comments, and how vital you think that is in a league where fouls are such a significant part of the, uh, you know, the the overall uh, winning and losing in this league. First of all, I don't know who that was until you said he's the head coach of Memphis on anyway. Um, but, I mean, he's a grown man talking about a, a player um, dying on the court. I mean, but when I fall, I get back up every time so mm-hmm. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't I don't miss games with injury that often. Um and I think I'm a tough player so if he has someone that can stop me then tell him to let me know. But other than that I don't think he should be talking about players like that in the first place. So. Fair enough. Well I, I to be fair, I think Kurt meant it as a compliment because in the same conversation he spoke about the fact that you are the most underrated player in the league. Now on that part I agree, and, and and I can't help but wonder why we think this is. I, I would just sort of take you through, you know, you were an elite, elite high school player. You go to University of Connecticut, which uh, has, you know, won a few games in its time, to put it mildly. You go out and win multiple national championships. You still end up as a second-round pick, and even coming into this year, you know, you go out and put up 30 in a, de- in a deciding playoff game last year, and still the conversation doesn't revolve around you as one of the, let's say, you know, top 15, 20 players in the league. Do you think there has been a career-long gap between what you've accomplished and the type of press that you've gotten? Um, I mean, I can tell you that I'm not, I'm not mad that it's happening like that. I'm really used to it happening all my life. So, um, the fact that every year I have to hear, oh, you were this close or, oh, the votes were almost your way or almost this, almost that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much used to it. And, um, it's not going to discuss anything. I'm going to continue to work hard, um, uh, for the sake of my teammates and for the sake of my family coming to the games watching me play. Um, they're the reason that I play my family anyway, so um, I'm going to keep doing it for them regardless of um, the awards that I don't get that I've deserved or people think I deserve. So mm-hmm. um, it's not going to change me as a player, but at the same time, I mean, I, I, I mean, if you see it, I mean, I, of course I see it or the people see it, but it doesn't discourage me, so... Right. No, it seems like quite the contrary. Does it end up serving as motivation at some level? I, I understand you're saying you're still playing for your family, but, you know, there, so many of the elite players use these perceived slights as a way to motivate themselves. I'm wondering if that's something you do as well. 
mean, I guess you can say that, but actually, really all it is is just press. Like, people use that stuff to make them or break them, and I, I don't see anybody's opinion or awards to make me or break me, so. Yeah. Um, whether I get them or not, I, I, it really doesn't matter to me. As long as my coaches and my teammates and my family approve the way I'm playing and just help me. Well, and, and Lord knows you've proven it this year. So I, I wanted you to take us through, if you could, to go and, and do something a number of players have done. You became a citizen of Azerbaijan and played for them in, in, uh, in 2015. What was the underlying um, preference there? What, what led you to make that choice? And, and what is that process even like? I think it's something, you know, it's, it's becoming very common, but it's, it's a, sort of a foreign idea to a lot of us uh, here in the States, how that even goes about happening. I mean, it was a thing that my agent came to me about, and we talked about it um, briefly, and we um, did some research and got the paperwork done. I had to fly from Brazil to Azerbaijan, have meetings, mm-hmm. um, and we figured everything out, and we got it done. I mean, it wasn't a, it was kind of a long process, but I mean, she really figured it out, and then just went from there. So. I mean, what, I mean, what's the strangest part of the experience? You, you know, it's, it, is it a country that you knew much about prior to becoming a citizen? Yeah, and it, you know, no. How do you go about doing that? That's the strangest part is I had no idea that that place existed. Um, so it was pretty strange when she was saying the name to me. I was like, is this real? Is this a joke? So, I mean, <laughs> I don't really know. The experience that I had going there was great. I had a good time. Um, playing out there, so it was fun. And, and do you do you then have a kinship with the country? Like, do you feel uh, a connection to Azerbaijan, having having worn the uniform and having played the colors? Um, a little bit, but no, I was only there for two weeks, and um, it was pretty much all games. We barely got to practice. So, um, I mean, I wish I could go back more often, but you know. I have to play in WBA and overseas um, to make a good living, so right. I really don't really have time to go back there because they still don't have a team. They're trying to get one together, and that's when I would have to go back. But as of now, they really don't have a team, so we don't go back as often. Wow, it, it's a it's a cool experience. I'm glad you got the chance to do it. I'm curious when you think ahead, as far as what you want to accomplish next. What are the benchmarks in your mind, both individually and team-wise, for 2017 for you? Oh, it's always the same goal for us. We want to win a championship. And um, I think we're well on our way to that. We just got to be stay consistent as we are. And as for me, I just want to do everything I can um, to help my team get there. And um I think if an all-star comes with that, then it comes with it. But like I said, I'm used to, you know, being short-chained. So um, I'm ready for it, but not looking forward to it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so, of course, I'm going to do everything I can individually for the team. And then, and I, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, when you go to Seattle in June, uh, which is when you guys are playing uh, as the dream. 
any thought of, you know, testing out the baskets and saying, you know, all right, this is how it's going to feel potentially when I come back in July. Uh, should I get a chance to make the All-Star team, which is something I think you have a real good chance of? Oh, well, the bad news, Tiffany, is that I, I think the way you're playing right now, you may not get that time off this year. But Tiffany Hayes, I appreciate your time, and we enjoy your game here at the Summit and Lockdown Women's Basketball, and wish you all the best of luck going forward. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And a reminder to our listeners, you can hear Tiffany and all our other interviews at Locked on WBB on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook at Locked on Women's Basketball. Go ahead and download the app for the Summit. Uh, search Women's Basketball uh, in the App Store or on the Android App Store as well. I am Howard Meddahl, thanking you for listening and wishing you a wonderful day.